everybody, I'm Robert Pearson and this is Follow the Leader, doing another Blue Collar Bible Scholar today, looking at the book of Numbers. And this is a book that doesn't get a lot of love because it's just, it's boring uh, to read. There's like one or two, three kind of important stories right in the middle of it, and then just a ton of numbers, exactly what it says, uh, the title is. So, I'm just going to jump into kind of a, a outline or overview of the book, what's in it from start to end, and then uh, just some of the high notes inside of it, just to give you a good foundational framework to understand this is what the book's about, and here are some of the things to pay attention to as you read past them, and then it's uh, it's a little less confusing when you're uh, reading through the book later, you're going, oh right, this is what they're talking about, and you can kind of skim some of the exact numbers. Uh, real quick up front. I don't do numerology stuff. It's uh, It strikes me as incredibly hokey. And I don't see anywhere that Jesus does it, that an apostle does it. And uh, occasionally some significance will be brought out of the number three, usually pointing towards Trinity by the early church authors. But they don't really get into numerology a whole lot um, beyond a significance of like 12 tribes of Israel matching, 12 apostles, and that's it. Uh, they don't immediately draw the connection to, you know, 12 valence electrons in whichever shell has, I think, 12 of them, I forget. Anyway, our geometric shapes is, I don't, no, none of that. So these numbers are literally just numbers of the people that are there. So, the book of Numbers starts out where, uh, Leviticus leaves off. And uh, Exodus, to a certain extent. In uh, the book of Exodus, they immediately wander out in the wilderness. They go to Mount Sinai. Uh, God sits them down and has a talk, and he gives them his law. And then Leviticus is that law as it specifically pertains to the priesthood, what all they're supposed to be doing, what they can wear. Uh, there are a couple anecdotes in there about people getting stupid. And then that's it. Now, Numbers is... We're marching out from Sinai on our way back to the promised land, or, or not back to, sorry, on the way to the promised land the first time. So they come out of Egypt, straight across the Sinai Peninsula, across the Gulf of Aqaba, and uh, into what is modern-day Saudi Arabia, land of Midian at that time, which is where Sinai is at. Then they're coming out of the land of Sinai uh, to the promised land, which is Israel, modern-day Israel, which is from Jordan to the sea. It's called Israel. God gave it to him. It's a patch of dirt. Now, the uh, they start the book off with roll call. And what's going on, everybody? How many people are here? Let's get ready to march out. Uh, they give the names of the different princes and leaders over the thousands and um, hundreds and stuff thereof. Because uh, there's a bit of a command structure. And also, if you remember earlier, Jethro in uh, Exodus, I think. Jethro gives Moses the idea to have judges. And uh, over every ten, every hundred, every thousand has uh, another judge. So these guys only watching after about ten other people. Um, and so he, he created that support structure then. So if there's any... Um, if anybody comes to uh, have a problem, there's a there's like a, a, an appeals court basically all the way up to Moses. That way everybody's not bugging Moses about having the same problem all the time. 
So they uh, they get ready to roll out, and God gives them a few more rules as far as temple stuff, who's carrying what, who's going where, and uh, how they're going to march as they're as they're moving out. Because uh, you've got 12 tribes of Israel, it's a lot of people. You're not just going to walk in a single file line all the way down. They walked by camp, and then God told them how he wanted them to move out. And uh, so they went by camp in a row, and he, he designated who was first, and then all the designated who was last. The Ark of the Covenant and the, the temple stuff in the Levites are carried in the middle. And uh, yeah, God has assigned his seats on this road trip. And then he tells them how to camp when they camp, because they're going to travel and camp. And they're following a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And uh, God gives them more instructions for offerings, so we can only assume they every day they travel for a certain extent and then stop, set up the tabernacle, do whatever uh, sacrifices are needed, pack everything up and move on. Tabernacle just means tent. It's the word for tent. God lives in a tent. And so that's, that's why it's in a tent, is the Israelites were nomads from the beginning. And even Abraham, right? God's like, go into a land I will show you and give you. And he's like, cool. And he just wanders around in that area, hanging out. And so they march all the way to the promised land. And they're right there at the promised land, ready to go in. And they get stupid. Uh, so at first they don't want to go in. They're like, eh, maybe not. Well, how, how about we just send some guys in first to go check it out? Is that cool? And Moses says, okay, fine. We'll take one guy from every tribe. You all put forward your one guy. They can go check it out. So they go in, land of Canaan. They go check everything out. And they come back. Twelve spies went into Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. Is the uh, the old children's church song. Uh, there's like hand gestures and stuff. Ten were bad and two were good or something. It's It's been a while. It was a fun song though. I remember being a fun. You start going like really fast and waving your hands all over the place. Great. Great stuff. Caleb and Joshua are the only two spies that come back and they go, yeah, the land's full of all kinds of awesome stuff. They got grapes the size of your head. It's it's the best, guys. Let's go. Let's go do it. God's going to give us this awesome land. The ten other spies, these guys went in and they're like, yeah, the fruit's really giant, but the people are giant too. There was sons of Anak were there. The, the sons of Anak, the Anakim is uh, the word for the giants. And uh, if you look in uh, Dr. Michael Heiser's, the guy's name, he has a book called Unseen Realms. There's a lot, there's a deep, deep rabbit hole to go in on the uh, the sons of Anak and uh, where they lived in the land and all kinds of different stuff. It's it's a fun deep dive, but it has to do with the Nephilim. And uh, that's where giants came from, but they're giants in the Bible. So these guys show up and they're like, oh, those guys are big. It's not like our God just moved part of an ocean for us like it was nothing and has been making food come out of the sky and water come out of rocks this whole time uh tall people scary i guess and uh they argue for a little bit joshua and caleb both have their moment to uh, stand up and monologue about look guys god gave us this land let's take it uh he's the lord what's what's your deal and everybody whines and they're like no we don't want to go in the land god says all right fine go wander in the desert die of old age in the desert, then that's, that's fine. And suddenly they went, no, no, we, well, yeah, we want to go in the land now. And God said, no. And so they, the few of them that, 
that decided to change their mind ran into the land and they get uh, killed or chased out by the people that live there. So they come back to the main group and they're just like, fine, we'll wander in circles for 40 years. Fine. And everybody who's 20 and up wandered in circles in the desert for 40 years until they died. That means you got people dying at 60, wandering around in the desert. Now, the fascinating thing, though, is they're being disciplined, right? They're wandering the desert. This is not fun. This is discipline. God gives them manna. Uh, I forget what the exact passage is, but there's, there's a direct reference that manna tastes like cake. God's discipline tastes like cake. Yes, it sucks. Yes, it's terrible. But it's still awesome, because God can't make anything really that terrible. Obviously, absolute statements are for emphasis and, and for brevity of thought. And to be uh, keep things fun and snappy. There, there's a lot more nuance to that. Yeah, God can make things that suck. That's what hell is, the lake of fire, all that. But, you know, it's not as fun to talk about right now. Anyway, so it sucks. They're wandering around in circles. Also, God provides for them while they're being disciplined. He didn't just let them starve to death. They, they eat cake every day. They wind about it to a point where he's like, here, have quail. Let him eat quail till he comes out their noses. Direct quote from a Bible verse. And then he uh, he also, it's referenced, I think Deuteronomy brings this in, but they didn't even wear holes in their shoes. Their feet didn't even swell. God provided and took care of them and made their discipline suck. Walking around in circles. So, it's, uh, it's a pretty terrible road trip. The entire time, they're acting like whiny kids on a road trip. Where, where, ah, we don't have enough of this. Can we have, ah, we need this. Wine, wine. God's taking care of them the whole time. He's giving them food like cake every day. And then they act like they're going to die the moment they don't have water just instantly provided for them. Oh, we're starting to run out of water. You brought us out here to die. We wish we were back in Egypt crazy. So they get on Moses' nerves so bad, he uh, once again, doesn't excuse him, but uh, it's definitely a factor. He's going to provide him water and he had previously hit the the, the stone with a, a staff to provide water. And God says, look, go speak to the stone and water will come out. And Moses came out and he's like, you guys want water so bad you bunch of ingrates and smacks the stone with a staff. And the water comes out, and God says, yeah, that's uh, it's going to cost you, bud. You don't get to go to the promised land now. You didn't do what I told you to. Uh, we find out in the New Testament that the stone providing water for the Israelites is, in fact, Jesus. We don't really get any more details than that, except that he's the stone that provided water in the wilderness that seemed to follow them. And uh, Moses hit him in the face when uh, he was supposed to just say, hey, bud, can we get some water, please? Uh, what are you going to do? So, on the road trip, there's this cat named Balaam who starts messing with him. The uh, king of Moab and some of the other nations got together, and they're like, we got to deal with these Israelites because they're going to wreck us. Uh, they're starting to circle around and get closer into the promised land. So, Israel proper is from the ocean to the... Uh, it's from the ocean to the Jordan River. Out past the Jordan River... Isn't 
really the the promised the the promised land of Israel. But there are other kingdoms and stuff that live there: uh, Moab, Ammonites, uh, Edom, south below the the Dead Sea. You pull up a Bible map, just Google Bible maps, and you'll you'll see all this stuff. Old Old Testament Bible map, or uh, look in the back of your if you got a paper Bible, you can flip through and you'll see the the kingdom layouts: um, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and all this stuff. They're hanging out on the far side of the Jordan. Well, the Israelites are like circling closer as they're wandering through the wilderness. And so these guys think, well, we got to deal with this. This is not, they're going to come wreck us. Got two million people wandering in circles in the desert, clutching swords and talking to some crazy fire pillar God that leads them around. This is, this is not, not okay. So they go to this guy who's a prophet, who's known to be a prophet in the land and the stuff he says happens. This guy's named Balaam. He's an interesting character. I'll, I'll go into him more. But uh, basically, they get this prophet to curse the Israelites. And instead of cursing them, he blesses them. And uh, that's it. They they get blessed by Balaam from like two or three different overlooks on the, the people of Israel. And uh, the, the Moabite king says, Balaam, what good are you? And Balaam's like, aha, but... I can't curse them, but their God can. So uh, get them to intermarry with your women and lead them to idolatry. Their God will curse them for you. And uh, Balaam dies in, an, in a battle a couple chapters later uh, because of, as, as punishment for showing the Moabites exactly how to take down the Israelites. And uh, so finally they get to the promised land. Uh, they... they kill a couple of kings, they, they they show up and they're like, hey, let us through your land. We're not going to do anything, we're going to stay on the road, we will buy food and water from you. They go up to a nation, they say, hey look, we just need to get through your territory. They came to them first, they asked for permission politely, they offered to buy every drop of water and every scrap of food they, t- they get, and they were not going to leave the road, they are going to head straight through the land, not go anywhere else. And uh, the kingdom said no. And then they asked again, and the kingdom sent uh, an army out and said, no, and we're going to kill all of you. The Israelites smacked them down. Uh, they do this to two or three kingdoms, uh, Bashan, king of Og, or whatever, Og, king of Bashan, or something. There's, there's a couple of those guys on the, the far side. They get they get whooped. Uh, that's that's actually the first chapter of the next book, Deuteronomy. It gives you a recap and names all the guys that, that get whooped and their, their kingdoms and territories that uh, get the smackdown. Uh, God says, leave the Edomites alone. They're the descendants of Jacob's brother Esau. Jacob and Esau, right? Esau despises his birthright over a bowl of soup. Jacob uh, takes the birthright from there, goes and does his thing. Esau wanders off in the desert and does his thing and winds up starting a small nation. He and Jacob make up later at the uh, the death of their father, the funeral. There's a funeral had for uh, Isaac and uh, they, they make good, and Esau, Edom, is the name for red, is a word for red. It's what it's same, same root Adam comes from in uh, Genesis. So he's in, has his own little uh, nation, that's his family and descendants, psh, makes a nation, right? Just like the Israelites, for Israel. So it's a, it's a brother nation, and uh, they say, no, you can't come through. And God says, look. Leave them alone. I gave them that mountain. That's their territory that I gave them. I'm going to give you your territory. Circle around. And they wipe out the two pagan nations, which are both descendants of Lot. 
uh, in that area, Moabites and Ammonites. Um, and then they're in that area, the tribe of half the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Gad both decide, you know, we like this area a lot. We're, we're not that jazzed about the promised land. Can we hang out here? And uh, Moses says, yes, but you, you still need to send your soldiers over. So God will keep your families and your, your women, your children, your belongings safe. So you can move into this area. That's fine. But you have to send your, your armies, your, your fighting men with the rest of the nation of Israel into the promised land. Once the promised land is conquered and secured, then yeah, you guys can go back home. And if that's, that's the land you want, go ahead. God's giving it to you. So we're at round two. Finally, everybody's perched on the edge of the Jordan. They're in the land of Moab and Ammon. They finished wrecking everybody and they conquered that area. And they're going to do it right this time. They're ready to go in. And this is where uh, the uh, there's a map. They sit down and Moses gives them a map of the promised land and Divvies up here are the borders of the promised land from this this city down to this. It's verbal. It's all written, which is one of the things that makes this so dry. As uh, it's you know from this city you've never heard of, so many miles south down to this other city you've never heard of, all the way to the coast that you don't know where it is, and then moving on forward to the north from this city you've never heard of. Over to, this is why Bibles have maps. Back in like you know the 1600s, the Geneva Bible is the first one to actually have maps and charts and stuff in the back because it's. If you're unfamiliar with any of this stuff, it's, it's hard to keep track of and wrap your brain around it without just seeing it on a map to, uh, to know what's up. And then they finish the book off with more laws and stuff about inheritance. Uh, the book ends talking about the succession and inheritance laws. And uh, specifically, how the possession of property stays within a family line. Because God's very serious about giving them the dirt patch that they're on. And so he covers what to do, because the the men inherited the land. Well, if you only have daughters, and they marry a guy who's in another family, your land has nobody to inherit it except this guy who belongs to another family. Now, your family line doesn't have the family land anymore. It gets absorbed into other people's land. And so to prevent that, to keep that land in the same family line, uh, there were rules of, for succession that would allow for that to be returned to or be redeemed back into the family line once there was a, a male heir with a, the, the family name. So it, it's apparently very important. So we'll, let's get into some stuff that we can learn from the, uh, the book of Numbers. There's a lot of stuff in there, but you have to be patient. You have to look. And it's not a book that you're going to get a ton out of. Un- until you, you've got a, a solid footing <coughs> in Bible stuff. And even then, it's just dry. It's, it's hard to stay focused while you're, while you're digging into it. Um, but one thing that strikes me is just how, all the details in it. I don't, I don't dig numerology. I can't help but see that this was clearly and intentionally put together to reference real places, real historical events, and real people. And I, I, I basically cannot accept any in understanding or interpretation of the Bible that doesn't take into account that there are real humans that did this. 
uh, I forgot to dig up the reference uh, before I started recording. But there's a, there's a place in Numbers where it explicitly says Moses wrote it. When Moses wrote this book, or uh, as, as according to Moses wrote, that's you get a, a textual clue that Moses is the one who, who wrote this, in addition to the, the uh, traditional understanding. And uh, Jesus' references to the Old Testament Torah books as having been written by Moses. So it's just, there's so much detail and nuance and this many numbers of things and this this many lines. They keep doing censuses, uh, a census of all of the fighting men. And then they specifically don't number the Levites because those are unto the Lord. Those are God's inheritance. And so they're not counted. And uh, all, all, the, all the details and the numbers of people, and the number of armies that were sent. And there's a, there's a ton, a ton of very specific details that serve... No purpose, no theological pursuit, no weird numerology stuff. They're just how many people that were there. How how far it is between point A and point B to make a line on a map for your borders. Of real, actual dirt. Um, another thing that is important as you're reading through is Balaam's lesson. This Balaam cat gets a couple of chapters of story for himself. And there's, there's a lot to learn. So everybody, this is the guy who has the talking donkey, right? He's going on his way to a place and the donkey keeps wandering off in the field or stops and he gets mad and beats the donkey. And then suddenly he sees an angel that says, uh, the donkey says, why are you hitting me? And he's like, cause you're not moving, you dumb animal. And suddenly Balaam can see the angel in the road and the angel's like, I was going to kill you, but the donkey kept moving. You got lucky punk. Why are you beating your donkey? So, the, uh, but, Balaam does a lot of dumb stuff. So, he, you can tell he wants to disobey God the whole time. He says, I can only say what the Lord has told me. And these Moabites show up, and they're like, hey, we need to curse these people. He knows they're the chosen people of God. Uh, it's, it's, it, it's clear in the context. He knows who these people are. And instead of asking God right away or telling him to buzz off, he goes, why don't you stay at my house for the night? And then he waits. And then God comes to him and says, hey, who are these chumps staying at your house? And he's like, oh, them? Oh, you know, they're just people that stop by that want me to curse the Israelites. You know, nothing big. God's like, no, don't do it. And he's like, well, you know, I can't. You guys need to go on then. And uh, see, he keeps playing this game of, well, like, oh, I can't. But, you know, God may change his mind. Hey, God, what do you think about? And God's like, no. And he's like, well, Okay. So that's why he winds up on the road and the donkey starts doing shady stuff in the first place and why God's sending an angel to kill him. God doesn't know how to listen. He keeps trying to work an angle, think he can pull one over on God. And then he goes, makes a shady deal with the king, and uh, once again, God says, you know, only tell, you can only say what I tell you. And so he winds up blessing the nation of Israel, the other king gets mad, and then God said, only say what I tell you. And then he volunteers extra information after blessing the nation, and says, hey, you know how you can uh, yeah, you know how you can get those guys? Send your women in there. Send the prettiest girls. And uh, get, them, get them marrying your women. Get them on, on uh, idols. And God will, uh, God will destroy them for you. 
Once they once they abandon their god to idolatry, they're done, bud. And that that's damaging because yes, guys are susceptible to pretty women. Also, idolatry allows you to be destroyed. And it doesn't matter how protected and blessed you are by God, you can still ruin your life. And also, if you're like Balaam and you, you know, uh, you, you obey, it's fine, but you see how far you can get away. Can I do this? Am I allowed this? There's a point where God's going to quit stopping you and he's going to allow you. You know, if you want to go, go ahead, bud. I'm not making you stay here. You wanted to be here. So go ahead. Live in lasciviousness. Live in fornication and all those things that you think are fun. God, God's going to allow you to leave and uh, ruin yourself. And Balaam dies for it in one of the successive battles. Uh, one of the things that keeps showing up is there's a rebellion also. And uh, Aaron's priesthood is challenged and God reasserts, no, Aaron is my chosen priest. Uh, so obedience is incredibly important. There's more laws again. You're constantly seeing the people whining and in rebellion. And it, it goes to show you that, yes, you can obey in action, but even in the Old Testament, it's clear. A, a book about tons of laws, God wants your heart. Yes, he gave them laws. He, he provided for them in the desert. And every two seconds, he turns around. They're whining. They're, they're worshiping idols. They're, they're not keeping it together. I mean, Moses didn't even come back down off the mountain in uh, Exodus before they had a golden calf ready to go. They're like, oh yeah, boom, calf time. It's, it's, it's very, very much a matter of heart. It's also clear inheritance and heritage is something incredibly important to, to God. Because his laws aren't just for the important people. It's everyone. Every countryman. Because there's no king at this time. There's no nobility. There's just the priesthood that has to work for God their entire lives. And the only property they get is uh, like 42 odd cities. There are five or six named cities that are given for uh, cities of refuge. Which is how they handle manslaughter charges if you killed someone on accident. Well, their next of kin was going to come take you out. But if it was an accident, you could run to one of these cities of refuge and you had to live there until the high priest died of old age and then you could go back to what you were doing. Uh, so it made it horribly convenient, but you were instantly killed for having killed someone. And uh, so just, I don't know, the idea of inheritance, that every random person, what they had and what they owned was important to God. That he set these elaborate laws to make sure that the uh, the people of Israel would always have the even down to the uh, the lowliest people would still have their little patch of land that they owned that would would pass through the family and be redeemed. There's a lot of stuff in back in Leviticus about um, redeeming your land and how to redeem your property. So if you sold it because times were hard, at the end of 50 years you're supposed to get it back no matter what, and any time before then you could buy it back for the the difference of that that 50 years or so. And uh, another odd bit that shows up in um, Deuteronomy, Numbers Numbers doesn't have a lot of contention over it unless you're deep, deep in the nitty-gritty of what is the theological nuance of this verb tense or, oh, one of the extant manuscripts has a different wording for such and such verse. Unless you're doing that kind of stuff, 
numbers is, is pretty straightforward. Here's how many people were running around in the desert. There we go. Uh, the only disagreement is, oh, these weren't really people running around in the desert. This is some spiritual allegory, numerological. Um, oh, this was put together by successive editors to give their people a sense of history as they're coming out of the Babylonian exile in 586. Um, these are real people who were really in a desert, wandering around doing what God told them to do. Uh, and the sense of counting them is really bad later, but it happens twice. God tells Moses, count all the people. Then they wander in the desert and die. And then he come, they come back around 40 years later, and they count all the people again. And it's, it's less than before, but it's still quite a bit. And after this time, when they start getting a king later, it is very bad to number the people. There's a plague that comes on the land when David tries it. And uh, there are a couple other kings that do a census. And it's just, it's bad every time you try and number the people of God for some reason. Uh, I just thought it was an interesting thing. Uh, another thing that needs some digging in, just like as a, I don't know what to do with it, but it's, it's crazy to think about. Balaam's not a, a Jew. He's not an Israelite. He's just a random Canaanite. Moabite guy who lives in the desert that is a prophet that talks to the one true God. That's a thing that happens. Uh, there's no like precedent for it before or not a lot after. It's just, it's just there. It's a thing that is. Which is crazy to me. Um, that We're not given more for that. It's just there. Alright, cool. Uh, yeah, Book of Numbers is there's a lot there, but there's not a lot there. And it's uh, pretty straightforward. So once again, if you read it, take breaks. Uh, uh, be, be ready to take nap breaks in between and stuff. It's a little dry, but it's uh, there's, there's some good good stories and stuff in there. All right, that's all I got for you. Uh, don't take my word for it. I'll see you next time. Godspeed.